Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at auditing algorithms. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your Active's Tech Brief podcast. Today I'm joined by Ellen Gutmann, Distinguished Professor at Rutger Law School, and Julia Treu, Program Manager and, and Fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Hello both. Hi. Hello. Um, and thank you for joining us. Um, so you have recently co-authored uh, a study on AI audits. What were the main findings? Audits of algorithms, algorithmic systems or AI systems um, are becoming much more common and are beginning to be called for in legislation or by self-regulatory uh, guidance uh, in industry. And so what we set out to do was to look at the audit ecosystem and see um, how well it was functioning and where there were holes uh, that, that will have to be addressed for it to function well. And so our main findings, and we, we organized this um, in terms of questions that have to be answered, um, were that there are gaps around uh, who is conducting the audits. And by that, we mean the degree of independence that they have from the audited entity. Um, but also there, it seems to be a workforce de deficiency. We don't have enough people and enough diverse um, uh, demographically and, and otherwise and, and disciplinary uh, d diversity we're talking about. We don't have enough people to audit. We then asked um, about what is being audited. And so questions will have to be answered about the scope of the examination of an audit given the AI lifecycle and value chain. Um, it's very different if you're auditing sort of a general purpose AI system that's an input into some other application, hiring software or healthcare um, assessment software. And so what exactly is being audited in that value chain really needs to be specified um, and, and considered. And then why is the audit being conducted? So we found there are many reasons to conduct um, uh, algorithmic or AI audits. One of the most common ones is for bias or discrimination, but there are also audits just for mere functionality. Does the system achieve the goals that it set out to achieve? And then there are much broader socio-technical questions we might ask about transparency, explainability, uh, how the entity that's, that is deploying the system is organized and whether or not um, there is there is any sort of oversight of the of the technical aspects of the system, um, and also questions about why is the system being deployed in the first place. So that all goes to why, and then finally, um, how is the audit being conducted? Right now, there are very few agreed standards uh, for for uh, audit standards the way there are for financial. Um, auditing, for example. And so the methodology of how to conduct an audit and then also what standards an auditor is auditing to have to be developed so that audits can be replicable and well understood. 
Thanks, Alan. And turning to you, Julia, now, uh, in your report, you also mentioned about the risk of audit washing. Um, what does it mean and, and, and what are the risks? So one of the risks in requiring algorithmic audits without a clear framework or definition is that the audit could provide a kind of false assurance of compliance, whether that be with norms or laws. And this would, in effect, audit wash practices that are either problematic or illegal. And we tie this to the well-known concepts of greenwashing and ethics washing to argue that there's a real danger that an audited entity could claim credit that its system has passed an audit with flying colors when in fact the audit is, is dangerously inadequate or self-serving or is essentially cosmetic in the, the steps that it takes. And a poorly designed audit could just be meaningless, but it could also excuse the harms that the audits are actually claiming to, to mitigate. And um, self-audits without clear standards are a real risk here. And sometimes these audits could legitimize systems that shouldn't even exist in the first place and could be based on, on pseudoscientific concepts. And an example we look at in the paper um, is the Facebook civil rights audit. And this was pretty widely covered in the press and, and pretty harshly. And the consensus was that Facebook had clearly failed this audit. But what does failure really mean when the recommendations were toothless afterwards and there was no mechanism to enforce change. So these civil rights audits can sometimes be sold as sort of compliance with, with norms or principles, but if there's no enforcement or accountability afterwards, uh, they, are, they are pretty toothless. So I guess that leads to the question of uh, what makes, what gives teeth to audits. So what, what is a robust uh, auditing regime for artificial intelligence? To expand on the, the questions that um, we pose in the paper and that Ellen introduced at the beginning, uh, there's no one-size-fits-all approach, and there can be different types of audits for different types of systems, and high-risk systems will be different from lower-risk ones, and this is the approach that the AI Act takes. But to expand on these, these who, what, why, and how questions, the who needs to talk about the qualifications of the people that are conducting the audits. And this uh, can include conditions for data access. And there will be additional guardrails when we're talking about internal audits. And there will be different sources of legitimacy and features when we're talking about self-audits or independent audits or government audits. And the credibility of the auditors also depends on the type of data they have access to and, and the independence that they have. Uh, and then in terms of the scope of the audit, some will be narrow and more technical, and some will situate the algorithm, like Ellen said, within its larger socio-technical system. Um, audits can include interviewing personnel and reviewing the business model and talking about why the system was even deployed in the first place. And it will differ depending on the, the life cycle and the, what point in the system that we're looking at, and it will see different things depending on this, this uh, scope. And then... In terms of the objectives of the audits, sometimes this will be narrow legal standards, and sometimes this will be sector-specific or take data protection standards into account, and sometimes it will account for broader ethical goals. And this, this type of objective defining is important to be able to compare audits uh, between them. And the audit's goals will also impact what gets audited 
and by who and therefore what kind of accountability regime uh, it fits into. And there are also potential costs, both for the audited entity itself and for the regulators. And this, the why of an audit should account for these as well. And finally, the how is about the standards. And this will help with development of, of audit certification mechanisms. And it's really important for protecting against audit washing. One thing I, I want to um, emphasize is that you know, people think of the gold standard or the platinum standard for audits as being independent third-party auditors, and that's true. But not all audits have to be that or should be that. And so I do want to sort of call out other kinds of audits that are part of what we might call an audit ecosystem. So although there is a risk of audit washing when a company or an entity does, it performs its own audit, that doesn't mean those aren't useful. Um, and and uh, uh, so that would be one kind is a first party audit where the results are announced. And, and Deb Raji, um, who's a scholar of, of algorithmic and AI auditing, has done really good work on um, sort of explaining what the value of that is, even though it should be clear it's not the same as the platinum audit. Um, the sec- another kind of uh, audit would be um, a second party audit where the entity commissions um, an audit so not fully independent, but sort of under the control of the entity, um, but but external. And then there's third-party audits. Uh, and then there is um, sort of, you know, um, adversarial audits, which really were the first kinds of audits done. And this is the, the work of um, Latanya Sweeney, um, sort of... Uh, was one of the uh, early researchers in this area to test a search engine um, to see if it discriminated against African-American, people with African-American, typically African-American names versus white sounding names. And that kind of adversarial audit is does not require the permission or the cooperation of the audited entity in the same way that a third party audit does, or obviously a first or second party audit. And so all of these different kinds of um, audits are valuable and are sort of part of the ecosystem. And what's important is to make it very clear what kind of audit it is and what purposes it serves. Um, thank you. And uh, I guess uh, the the other aspect to be covered here is to what extent are AI used to audit AI? And uh, if if these uh, could not create a sort of loophole whereby, you know, who audits the audit uh, algorithm and so on. So what, what sort of uh, uh, safeguards can be put in this regard? Well, so for sure, um, you know, many kinds of audits are going to deploy AI to audit AI, and that that example of the um, of auditing of, of search engines, um, where you know you're 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 throwing a lot of queries uh, at a system, um, is 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 almost is probably going to use AI. Um, so then, and then the question is, well, how do we understand that method if the AI that's used to conduct the audit? is itself a black box. And that's where standards uh, become so important so that it's clear what the method of auditing is. And it's and it's really important that that method be able to be replicated. Um, but so that when, when an entity says we've been audited or we've self audited, and here are the results that researchers can test those results, um, interrogate them, replicate them. 
the the other point that is often raised regarding this auditing uh, environment let's uh, let's say is that uh, usually the auditing is done by private firms so if we take the compliance with the ai act for example uh high risk providers will need uh third party audits uh and the question here is about the complaint compliance costs, because if these are private entities, they have an interest in sort of uh, asking more testing than necessary, for example. So how how can we avoid that when we have this first set of rules um, for, for artificial intelligence, that they are not sort of uh, abused uh, and that the compliance cost is, is not inflated? So it's a, compliance costs are, um, you know, as Julia mentioned, a, a, a really important part of the, the question of why are you auditing and also what are you auditing. So in the in the example that you gave of the um, the EU AI Act and the risk based framework, you know, a lot of the the um, a lot of the work there is done by what fits into the high risk classification. Um, and so, you know, if that's a very, very broad category, then there are going to be many, many more entities that are going to have to conduct these compliance audits and not all of them will, you know, there will be more um, uh, assertions of, of sort of um, uh, inability to pay that sort of thing. And so, so one, you know, part of this ecosystem is, deciding what is subject to um, a mandatory audit. Now, if you are deploying a system that's genuinely high risk, um, you really do need to be able to um, pay for the compliance cost before that goes out into the market. On the on the supply side, how do we keep costs down? You know, generally by having enough supply. And so that goes to the sort of workforce development issue is, is we really need to make sure before... Um, as we roll out mandatory or voluntary audit regimes, that there are enough auditors. So if we're only relying on sort of the big three accounting firms to do this, it, there's going to be exactly the problem that you identified with escalating costs and a, and a kind of captured market. But if we have you know space and capacity for many more auditors, um, that should help control those costs. And just uh, out of curiosity, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but can we expect this market, um, this ecosystem, as you call it, to develop uh, once the EU adopts uh, the AI Act? I would really expect so, um, you know, because there will be demand um, for audits. And of course, there is uh, the well-known Brussels effect where um, even if those same rules are not adopted elsewhere in the world, um, it, it ends, they end up sort of de facto becoming um, uh, part of the practice. I, the one other thing I would add is that, you know, I think um, academia and, gov- and governments have a role to play here because there's, um, you know, to the extent that we can make these auditing practices more valued um, and uh, remunerative and, you know, give prizes for people who go into this field, um, we'll, we'll have sort of a, a, a bigger pipe of, um, of people entering. And we are already seeing some of the, the big four advertising their auditing services when it comes to the Digital Services Act. So I think it's it's very likely we would see that with the AI Act as well, um, especially in the way that it encourages voluntary audits. Um, 
that could show compliance beyond what's explicitly required. And there are some of the holes that we identify in the paper and the need for, for frameworks and standards are, are important as well. So um, Brussels is creating jobs one way or the other. Um, but um, the, the other aspect I wanted to touch upon with you is, um, especially with you, Alan, who are based in the US, I understand, is uh, transatlantic cooperation. This week, the European Commission and US administration are meeting in the context of the Trade and Technology Council. And one of the sort of uh, deliverables they are planning to bring to the table is this AI roadmap. Um, which includes uh, working on a shared understanding for some key concepts such as transparency and risk, as well as some shared uh, metrics um, that uh, could really help um, probably also in terms of auditing algorithms. So uh, what do you make of these initiatives? Is it, is it uh, cosmetic or... Is it a substantial uh, development? And, and what can we expect in the long term? Um, well, I think it's a really positive development. I think, um, you know, if we want standards, um, we do want them to be shared, consensual international standards, the way we have for financial accounting, the way we have for um, uh, in many areas of human rights compliance and sustainability practice. And so, um I, 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 and I think, but I think the TTC is only a piece of that. My understanding is that um, OECD is, is, uh, is working on some joint understandings, including, as I understand it, an AI incidents reporting um, common framework so that we start to understand, which, which is an input, of course, for risk assessment to understand, you know, where actually um, are harms occurring or potentially occurring. Um, so I think common standards uh, are great, but the TTC is, a, is just a piece of that. Um, NIST, is, is, which is the U.S. standard setting, technical standard setting organization, I know is working really hard on a risk management framework. And I think um, ISO and, and um, other European standard setting organizations are doing the same. So hopefully um, there is a lot of terminology being thrown around and, and you know, sort of different, which is natural uh, in a nascent and emerging field, but hopefully we'll begin to sort of narrow um, the, the space of, of those words and practices so we do settle on some common understandings. And I, I do think it's very important to see this type of cooperation, especially when you think of the relatively different ways that the EU and US approach AI regulation generally. On one hand, you have the AI Act, and then you have the, the framework blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, which is uh, non, non-binding principles. And I think AI discourse in the US is sometimes also framed more in terms of competition with China in a way that we don't see in the, in the EU. And in the context of the TTC, when we see these other tensions arising around subsidy wars and that kind of thing, I think it's very uh, positive to, to keep uh, making progress on these types of shared principles and, and values. Julia Treu is Program Manager and Fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Ellen Goodman is Distinguished Professor at the Rutger Law School. Thank you both. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Curie. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. <music>